At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trana. Thanks for downloading and listening. I appreciate it. Hope you're all staying in and staying safe as we continue with the quarantine life that we're going through. Um, on this episode of the SI Media Podcast, we have Ian Eagle from CBS and Turner joining us for a very, very fun interview. A lot of topics covered. Ian has a new partner with CBS this year. Charles Davis goes from Fox to CBS, and he will be Ian's partner uh, for the number two game each week for CBS. So we talked about Ian teaming up with Charles Davis, a lot of Michael Jordan last dance talk, um, some Bill Raftery stories. Bill Raftery is on Zoom, Ian revealed. So it's a very fun and, you know, we do a nice mix here of uh, lighthearted stuff and media stuff with Ian, and he's fantastic. I We'll guarantee you if you listen, you will enjoy it. So uh, I should tell you, if you missed any recent podcasts, we had a good one last week with Chris Long on a bunch of different topics. Uh, two weeks ago, Michael Imperioli and Steve Schripper from The Sopranos were on the show. Three weeks ago, Andrew Marshan on Media News. Bob Lee, Kyle Brand also have been on recently. So if you haven't listened to any of those, dip into the archives, give them a listen. And if you're not a subscriber, please hit the subscribe button. Okay, let's get to this week's show. With the very funny, very entertaining Ian Eagle. All right, joining me now, one of the best in the sports broadcasting business, as versatile as it gets, but he has nothing to call these days. Ian Eagle from CBS and Turner. Ian, how's it going? Jimmy, this was one podcast that I was hoping was video so that I could see <laughs> the length of your hair. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good. It's getting out of control. Yeah, join 
join the party. It, it, it's funny. I just, to plug myself, I just did an interview with JJ Watt, not for the podcast. We did like a written Q and a, and we were talking about how, like, if you put aside all of this serious stuff that I don't want to make light of, but of you know, you, talk, you know, unemployment and people losing jobs and that stuff, you put all that aside and you just look to the frivolous and the nonsense. I I'm blown away by how everyone's top complaint is that they need a haircut. Yeah, I'd say that's a big one. You hear a lot of complaints about being quarantined with family, and there are families <laughs> that don't get along that well. So now everything is multiplied by the 10th degree. Fortunately, I'm in a place where it's very harmonious. The drama level is very low, and every combination of the four people in my household get along. So I don't have that problem, but I can understand people that may have that problem. Right. Your son, who was doing Clippers games for radio this year, he's yeah. he's in the house with you back east now? He is. He is. He's back on scholarship. But once the Clippers gave him the go-ahead to travel, uh, my son Noah, after we spoke and my wife and, and I chatted with him, decided that it would be best if he came back here and actually had human contact for mm -hmm. however long this was going to last. My daughter, Erin, was, quote unquote, studying in Australia for the semester. She goes to Syracuse. So that decision was made for her. She didn't really have a right. choice. Uh, she did come back as well. Fortunately, everybody got back healthy, safe, and it has been a completely unexpected family reunion. Mm -hmm. That part has been very nice. Uh, what is it like having two play-by-play -play men in the house? Is there sort of like, you know, you're both not working. So at the dinner table, is it like, and there's Noah passing the peas to his mom? Yeah, we uh, we, don't, we don't really eat peas, Jimmy, but- uh, Oh, yes, no vegetables, right? Yeah, it, it's interesting. You would think with two play-by-play -play guys in the house that that would be the recurring theme. Like, oh, here comes the pasta. Oh, it's big ziti. The cheese is like molten lava. It's not. It's not like that at all. Uh, we we don't we don't do that. We've never really done that. Uh, we have fun. There's a lot of humor in the house, but it's not an ongoing play by play track. That would annoy right. the hell out of my wife and my daughter. So just by trying to to be uh, at least as humanly aware as possible, that's not part of the deal. Yeah. Do you you now you you lost that on the tournament NBA playoffs and then yeah. we'll see what happens here with the NFL. I'm sure you miss working. I'm sure you miss the people you work with. Do you miss actually doing play by play? Like Joe Buck is doing this thing where he's having people send him videos and he's doing play by play for yeah. something like. Like, would you ever want to do that? Do you miss the play by play? Or you're okay taking a little break here? No, I'm I'm okay. Uh, what what I've done probably more on a personal level the last five years uh, I've turned down some assignments in the summer. And my wife made this point uh, probably 2015, right around that time, that you may need a little more balance in your life. So mm -hmm. I have taken more of a five-week, six-week period where I literally would do nothing. Maybe we would go away. But I realized I was actually pretty good at shutting down the battery and recharging and building an entire day around picking up dry cleaning. And it was not a big deal. I could do it. I, I felt okay about it. I go, obviously, 120 miles per hour from 
starting in August right through to early June. So I've tried to take that mindset that I've had the last four or five years and apply it to this time period. So at least as of now, no, I, I don't feel anxious. I don't feel itchy that I haven't been doing this. The part that has been a bit odd for me is really more just the preparation part. I would be completely immersed in that part of it daily. And that part, I feel there's a void. Yeah, I'm still reading a lot. I'm still uh, trying to uh, satisfy my thirst for knowledge and trying to work that muscle. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same because there's no payoff at the end of the day. Right. Um, the timing of this podcast appearance is great because CBS announced today that yep. Charles Davis is officially your new partner. Before I ask you that, I'm going to be honest. I really had you on today for one question and one question only. Have really? you done any Zooms with Bill Raftery yet? <laughs> I have. I've done have you really? I have. No. I have. Wait, so, wait a second. I, well, I was kidding. How did no, the no, no, Raft no, no. manage the Zoom? Well, he's got an IT person in his house. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get into deep specifics, but they they share genes and a bloodline. Okay. And he has help. He has help. So I've done a few with him of the personal variety just to get caught up. Hey, bird, we're Zooming. But we've also done a professional one. <laughs> Uh, there was a show called uh, CBS Connected on mm -hmm. CBS Sports Network and online, and it might be worth checking out. We did one with Tom Izzo and with Bill Self, and okay. the premise of the show was interviewing both of these coaches, and then midway through the interview, there was a Zoom bomb. And with Tom Izzo, it was <laughs> Steve Smith, one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet, uh, works at TNT and NBA TV and has a long relationship with Tom. And for Bill Self, it was Raf. Raf was the one Zoom bombing in. And not to give too much away, if you want to go back and, and check it out, yep. you can go find it. At the end of the interview with Bill Self and Raf, which one do you think left their computer on, even though oh. they left the interview? Well, that's what I was going to say. When you're zooming with Raft, is you know, do we have half his forehead showing? Do we? <laughs> we yeah. Well, yeah. at first, I must say, it looked like he was doing some kind of deposition in the Zoom. <laughs> like there was some legal <laughs> proceeding going on. But no, Raft has actually been a constant zoomer. Uh, we've had a few with CBS personalities that have come together. And I got to tell you, he is okay with the technology. He has figured it out. And I give him a lot of credit. This, this shows a lot of uh, him opening up his mind to a new world that's out there. Amazing. I love it. That just made my day. And my let's day. say now for the 2020-2021 season, if indeed college basketball is played, this could be a whole new call. For Raf, uh, there could be a player going to the rim. Hey, Bird, zooming to the goal. <laughs> oh my God, I cannot. I love it. I love it. Now, do you? So, when you do the personal zooms with Raft, is he enjoying a cocktail at, late at night? And uh, I, I must say that uh, Raf does enjoy a Zoom cocktail. <laughs> yes, that that really doesn't seem to be an issue during this current uh, quarantine. Uh, he, he hasn't decided to 
uh, to just change that part of his life. He he's embraced it. It it does seem like everyone's getting through this with Zoom and cocktails. So why should the raft be any different? Exactly. That's outstanding. Outstanding. Well, I'm glad, and I'm glad. I'm glad he's doing well. That's that's good to hear. Yes. He um, raft on Zoom. Does he drop in onions? Does he drop a lingerie? I mean, the, the, the Zoom is ripe for that. You know, like yeah, with everything know, that funny, goes on. We've gotten to the point in our relationship that he basically asks me to do an impression of him, <laughs> so he doesn't have to do it. So I'm the one that's going with Ooh, onions, the blow by. <laughs> Get the puppy set. Just a lot of raphisms over and over. And he cracks up. He <laughs> that is tremendous. I'm definitely, I'm going to find that CBS uh, show. I'm going to post that in my comments. Yeah, it was cute. It was cute. Yeah, really well sure. done. Um, so like I said, CBS makes it official uh, on Tuesday. Charles Davis joining CBS from Fox. And he goes right into the booth with you as the, Number two team behind uh, Nance and Romo. Um, by the way, uh, let me, let's before we get the, when Ro, when Romo gets you know whatever it is five hundred billion a year or whatever to <laughs> call NFL. Do you send them a text at all? And do you, do you mention that? You know, it's so it's weird. In I'm going to use the air quotes here. Real life, like people don't mention their salaries. Your guys, especially you know the top guys, the salaries are out there for public knowledge. So, like, what's the protocol? Is it still rude to mention someone's salary to them, or can you have a laugh with it? Uh, Tony is there definitely a guy you could have a laugh with, and I don't think anybody is laughing at it. He's <laughs> he's figured this stuff out. So I think it's more of a hey, more power to you, man. Congratulations, truly. Uh, oh, yeah, it, it's it's incredible and obviously a game changer within the industry. But uh, he changed the game with his approach to the job and his analysis and the fact that he was a superstar very early in the process. You could tell that that he just had a special quality and had the ability to cut through all the layers of this and really connect with the audience. So to me, it's it's a very simple standing ovation applause to him. Yeah. But was there a humorous text sent to him at that time? or uh, There have been no humorous texts yet okay. uh, with Tony. Right. I, I think Tony realizes how fortunate he is, and uh, he he gets it. He sees right. the, the big picture when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, I'm just thinking, while you were speaking, I'm thinking, I, I think Nance recently told my former colleague, Richard Deitch, that if the Masters got moved, uh, and was played during the NFL season, he'd call the Masters for that weekend. I guess, I wonder if CBS then would have you do the game with Tony. Would that be something that would appeal to you? Would you look forward to something like that if you had a chance to do a game or two with Tony? Well, if if you're telling me that we're actually going to have games, I'll right. tell you right now, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to sign up for yeah. any of it. But, you know, obviously, I enjoy working with different people. I've always enjoyed that. I've kept a running list throughout my career. I'm I, now I was going to say, I was going to say, have you kept track of I how have. many different? Yeah, do you well, know how, what the number is? I do. It's 135 different. Wow. Players. And the only reason I kept it, my first year doing Nets TV, I went to lunch with Bill Raftery in Milwaukee, and I said to him, "Hey, how many different guys have you worked with?" He goes, "Oh, Bert, let, let's try to keep track." He took out <laughs> a napkin, literally. <laughs> paper napkin and he starts writing down Len Berman, Mike Gorman, Jim Kelly, 
And he got to a certain number and he just acknowledged at that point, he goes, oh, I can't remember all of them. But it struck me that I was so early in my career that I should keep a running list. And at that point, there weren't many on the list. Yeah. But in the years that have followed, uh, the list has grown rather large. So uh, yeah, of course, uh, if, if that opportunity presented itself, that that would be great. 135, that's, a, that's an impressive number right big there. Number. Yeah, big, big number. Yeah, big number for sure. So when you get a new partner like you will this year, if we do have football with Charles Davis, I'm curious, how much of the responsibility is on you to have him come in and be comfortable and mesh and chemistry and all that? How much is on the producer? How much is on the director? Do you take it all on you? Is it a balance type of thing? What happens when a new partner comes in? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the responsibility is shared, but any play-by-play guy worth his salt would tell you a lot of it falls on them because in the booth, that's the dynamic that you can control. Behind the scenes, the week of communication, the time spent together, talking about the game, uh, discussing the storylines and how you're going to attack it. Of course, the producer, the director, Evan Washburn, our sideline reporter. So it's Mark Wolf, it's Bob Fishman, producer, director. And then uh, we have associate directors and broadcast associates, all part of this collaborative process to make somebody feel comfortable and to make the transition smooth. But when the red light goes on as the play-by-play announcer, you've got to go into traffic cop mode and you've got to know that you're setting a tone that hopefully can make your partner feel comfortable to do their best work. And that's always been my viewpoint. I want to put my partner in the position to succeed. I want to make it easy on them. I want to be malleable. I want to be flexible. And I want them to feel that there's trust between us. So let's say the most recent pairing that I had with Turner, with Stan Van Gundy, Stan and I didn't spend a lot of time together. We didn't do 17 rehearsal games together. We did zero. We met, truly met, other than an interview here or there when he was a coach, the day of our first game in a production meeting. And I knew five minutes in that it was going to work. I just Mm -hmm. knew it. I just knew by his personality. I knew by the questions he was asking me. I knew by the fact that he was laughing at some of my lines and my jokes that it was going to be an easy dynamic. I talked to Charles for about an hour a couple of weeks ago, and not specifically how we're going to do this when we're on the air, but just a real honest conversation about ourselves, about family, about our background. And Charles and I knew each other a little bit from seeing one another during our respective travels, but chemistry is formed off the air. And then the translation comes later on the air. So you could do a bunch of rehearsal games. The reality is if you're not bonding off the air, if you're not finding commonality, then you're not necessarily going to be able to transition it to on the air. That's my viewpoint. That's the way I've always looked at it. And that's not going to change. This is going to be very easy. Charles is really good at his job. He studies, he prepares, he's an excellent communicator. He's a wonderful guy. He's the kind of guy that you'd want to sit down and have dinner with, have lunch with, hang with. And that's really the dynamic that you shoot for. You want accessibility for 
the viewing audience. You want them to feel something when they watch, some connectivity to the the announcers that are calling the game. Is there sort of like a, you know, a partner like that where you're going to do whatever it is, 17, 18, 19 games? Is it a situation where you, you got to make sure like, all right, let's, you know, let's go to dinner once a week. Let's go to dinner, I don't know, twice a month. Let's let's try to do stuff off the air, you know, on a regular schedule just to keep that going. Or is it you can both just show up on Sunday, do the games, have chemistry, have a good broadcast, and, and that's it? Jimmy, I've had both. Uh, I've had yeah. relationships with my analysts where we hung out a lot and we knew a lot about one another and our families and our backgrounds. And then I've had some relationships where – it wasn't as in-depth, but it still worked on the air. I don't think there's a tried and true way to do it, but I know on a personal level that if you find that common ground off the air, usually people can figure it out on the air that that there is something there. So that would be my main goal. It's better if you get along, but it doesn't mean that it has to be that way. I think in this case, just knowing Charles, He's just a very affable person. Uh, he's yeah. not a superficial person. He asks a lot about you. He's a natural deflector. So when you meet people like that, that are uh, just authentically curious, that means that they truly care about the questions and answers that they get. So I don't think that's going to be uh, much of a challenge for us. Uh, that's going to mm -hmm. be a very simple part to the relationship hanging out. I do think it's part of it, but you could talk to a hundred different broadcasters and they may have different philosophies on this. It's all based on ultimately what you find that works when the red light goes on and you have three hours to truly cover an event. And that trust is created between the two of you that you've got each other's back and everybody is working on the same page. I'm curious. I mean, you've done play-by-play -play for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of games. Yep. Charles has been the number two guy over at Fox for several years. Do you guys need a practice game or can you jump in and do a game the first Sunday of the NFL season? And give me, is there a difference in terms of doing practice with a new partner, NBA, college, hoops, NFL? Like, is one sport, you would better have a, we better do something ahead of time as a practice game or is one sport or both sports you could go into a cold? What's the difference there? And what about doing a practice game or two? Yeah. In my experience, I haven't had a lot of practice games. Mark May and I were paired together when I got to CBS. We had one practice game and it was a preseason game, Jacksonville against Dallas in Jacksonville. And that was also the game that, that I recall I was down on the field before the game. I'm getting to know Mark May at that point, former Washington Redskin, one of the hogs. He says, hey, come down to the field. Let's uh, check it out. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Why not? We go down there. Who walks by but Jerry Jones and the owner of the Cowboys, big personality. He and Mark May lock eyes. He goes, hey, Mark, how you doing? He says, hey, Jerry, meet my new partner. It's uh, Iron Eagle. He goes, Iron? I said, oh, it's, uh, it's Iron, Iron Eagle. He says, Iron. I said, no, no, it, it's actually uh, Iron Eagle. He says, Iron? I went, yep. Yep, it's Iron. <laughs> that. That, was the, that was the only rehearsal game that we did together. I then get paired with Solomon Wilcots. We did an audition for CBS because Solomon was trying out for the role. 
I did the audition with him. He got the job. We never did another game until we did our first NFL game together. Next partner I had, Rich Gannon, never did a rehearsal game with. We just let it rip on game one, and it worked. The next partner I had, Dan Fouts, 10 years together. We did our first game in Nashville. We did no rehearsals. Another one that I knew, literally 10 minutes into the game, I said, this is going to work. I just, I could feel it. We had right. just a similar approach and a similar ideal. So there were no rehearsals and they just let us go about our business. Basketball, Richard Jefferson, my most recent analyst on Yes, no rehearsal game. Stan Van Gundy, no rehearsal game. Sarah Kustak, no rehearsal game. So it, it really does vary. It, it's based on what your bosses want. Uh, in my case with Charles, if you're telling me right now we had to do a game tomorrow, we could do the game. There's no doubt in my mind. Interesting. Interesting. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie, too, for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. You mentioned Sarah Kustak. I should mention, you guys just won the New York Sports Emmy Best Play-By-Play, -play, Best Analyst. And I saw it was the first time ever that a, a team, a broadcast team for a sports team won the award together. Um, but obviously there was no Emmys. Was it done virtually Is, or how did that all go down? Yeah, yeah, it was done yeah. virtually. Normally you wear a tuxedo to the event. <laughs> 
Uh, this was very different, and uh, I wore my underpants, uh, my underwear. And <laughs> that's how I watched the event. It was it was phenomenal. Did they send you the award in the mail? <laughs> well, not yet. Eventually, okay. I believe. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a virtual Emmy. Maybe I'll never right. actually see the Emmy. I just have to put my laptop up on <laughs> on the table and just say, "Yeah, this this is what an Emmy would look like." Yeah, no, I, not, it was really nice, actually. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I'm not, there's no way to ask this question without sounding like I'm disparaging, which I'm not on any level. But when you're a national broadcaster like you are, like I, I mean, you're doing NFL playoff games, you're doing the NCAA tournament, and you win the New York Emmy, is it still as special and as meaningful? Yeah, it is. And, and the reason I say it is because of all the people that I work with. Everybody on that crew cares so much. Our producer, Frank DeGrace, is one of the best producers I've ever worked with. Any sport, any network affiliation, he's that good. And he takes such care in every broadcast. So uh, the amount of pride that we felt, we had a text chain going with our Nets on Yes crew and the back and forth that we had that night. Uh, that's ultimately what you care about. It is, it's a team concept. You're part of a team so to see everybody react the way that they did and in the way that uh, the night went, that, that's what made it special and will always make it special. I really enjoy the people and I enjoy the job. And that's why I've kept doing it. I'm 26 years doing the Nets. And there's a reason why I, I keep coming back. Yeah, I was, I, I was a bad host there and should have mentioned that you won the New York Emmy for your work with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I want to talk to you about the last dance. I'm sure you're watching it every Sunday night. I'm into it. Like, yep. Yeah. Like every other. What was your uh, relationship at all, at all with Jordan? Obviously you were doing the nets back then when he would come to town. Did he, did you have anything with him? Interviews? Sila, I don't, did you have any interaction with Jordan at all? Yeah, I did. Uh, Michael Corrin, who was my first analyst on nets radio played at North Carolina. And when Michael Jordan came for his recruiting, recruiting trip, uh, to Chapel Hill, his host was Michael Corrin. So they formed this bond, this Tar Heel bond that carried over into Jordan's playing career in the NBA. So my first year doing radio, what does what does Mike say? Uh, he he says, "Hey, you want to meet him?" I'm like, "Yeah, do I want to meet him?" I'm trying to think of the timing. That might I was going to say, do you know what year around this was? Well, it's 94, 95. So that okay. was the year that he came back and mm -hmm. lost to Orlando in the playoffs. So Mike says, hey, you, do you want to meet him? So maybe it wasn't that year. It might have been the year after that he said, do you want to meet him? I said, yeah, of course. So he brings me back to the locker room pregame. It's just me, Michael Corrin, and Michael Jordan. And we hang out for... I don't know, 15 minutes. And it's just the two of them busting balls <laughs> for 15 minutes. And, you know, Michael saying, you know, this guy, he showed me around. And then Mike going back at him. And that's the thing about Jordan. He liked it if you could bust balls back. And he mm. was you know, literally asking me, you know, what, you know, what's your deal? And he, he took an interest. So I ended up being in his company a few times, but my timing was such that. I just started in the NBA when the Bulls run was completing. So I, I caught the back end of it, and I had the good fortune of calling the NBA finals on the world feed. 
So I did get to call a couple of those series, the Bulls, Seattle Supersonic series I called on the world feed and the right. Bulls Utah Jazz series, the Brian Russell push-off game, that right. whole series I did for for the world feed. I'm huge in Indonesia, Jimmy. I don't know <laughs> if you know that. I can't walk the streets of Indonesia without a mob scene. I remember you telling me a great story the last time I had you on about you and Raf doing the games from the <laughs> yeah. studio. I I'll, I, I got to go back and listen to that and remind my well, you know what, that was a good one. you know what's germane now to that. If there is a chance that in oh, the yeah, NBA yeah. that we have to call these games off monitors, yep. in a studio somewhere, I do have experience. I've done it for NBA Finals. I've done it for World Basketball Championships. On the two that I mentioned, I was on site for. <laughs> For the Bulls, Seattle, I was on site. For the Bulls, Jazz, I was on site. But I did the Miami-San Antonio series, Ray Allen, Big Three. That was from a studio in Secaucus. I did those World Basketball oh, see, Championships with Raph oh, wow. from a studio in Secaucus. So yeah. it's doable. Yeah. I, I would hope – no network would ever do this, but I would hope that if they did – if you had to call the games that way, they'd give me a little box in the bottom right-hand corner – showing the <laughs> announcers calling the game from the studio. Cause I think there could be some funny stuff there, but uh, there was definitely funny never- stuff with me and Raph. I could guarantee yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I'm ca- so the last dance, it's interesting because when it first premiered three weeks ago, I, I know that I know you don't tweet, but you have like the secret account where you keep up with things yeah, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you know, people were losing their minds and it became this whole like, you know, I, I'm going to faint. The last dance is so good. I can't wait. And I've noticed the last couple of weeks now, uh, people sort of can, I got it. Ken Burns made a statement about how um, they're disappointed that this is a partnership with Jordan and we're not getting the full story. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? Yeah, I understand it. And if you're looking at it strictly from a journalistic point of view, you're probably going to be disappointed. There's not going to be a whole lot of balance. Michael Jordan is helping to control the narrative, and that was part of the deal made to release this footage. So you have to understand exactly how it all came about. This footage has been around for many years now, and we're talking about 20 plus years. And just now we've seen a finished copy of a film that basically in 10 parts has been put together and they're telling a story, but it is just part of the story. The enjoyment level that I've gotten that I think a lot of people have gotten, certainly people that were around at that time, it's bringing back memories. And, you know, for uh, some of us, it's seeing faces in the crowd in the media scrums and seeing younger versions of media stars now and what they were doing and what they were like. Look, this is not going to be like your typical documentary because ultimately Michael Jordan had the yes or no on what was going to be put out there. And once you suspend that part of your brain and you say, hey, I just want to enjoy it for what it is, I've enjoyed it. And I think younger fans have enjoyed it because it's given them a little window into the competitive nature and to what the NBA was all about at that point. But it's not telling all the stories. It's not delving into everything. It's giving Michael Jordan's perspective on what was happening at that point in his life. I've got to be 
open and honest, if I open up my brain to the fact that there are other people's perspective that may disagree, but that's part of the deal. And that's the only way we were going to get this version of those events. Yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm, I mean, normally I always, I mean, I subscribe to the theory that people are stupid, so I shouldn't be surprised that some people don't get the fact that if he's being interviewed throughout, throughout the documentary and we're seeing his footage that he allowed to be used, we're getting his perspective. Sure. I'm surprised this is a surprise to people. Um, it's interesting. I, me personally, even though this is from his perspective and it's his point of view, I thought especially this week, um, it, it's hard to discuss this in context because to me, he's the all-time greatest NBA player. I, I, I'm sure, you know, he's kept the charity stuff quiet, but I'm sure he's donated God knows how much money. But when I watch it from a personal standpoint, you know, I, I don't get the impression he's a great guy. Now, I don't have anything going. I'm just going off of like the stuff with Tony Kukoc and trying to make him miserable, the constant picking on Jerry Krause and Krause can't defend himself here. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I thought, you know, even less, I mean, the one thing that surprised me, and I don't want you to comment on that because it's what, but here's something I, I, I'm interested in your take on. I was very surprised how open he was in the last episode about how much he couldn't take the media anymore. Because in, to me, the media back then is nothing like what the media is now. And this is a guy who is universally thought of as the most mentally tough athlete of all time, basically. Mm-hmm. And he was basically buckling under the pressure of a few newspaper writers. I found that shocking. Am I reading that wrong? Uh, No, I don't think you're reading it wrong. But what I think is we're applying what would happen today compared to what was going on then. You could control the message back then a bit more. Uh, There were less reporters. There were less people that were digging around. But criticism is criticism. And some people can't take criticism. Some people have a tough time dealing with it. And Michael Jordan clearly created reasons to motivate himself. And even what some might consider the slightest of knocks and the slightest of critiques was enough to be a chip on this man's shoulder and take his competitiveness to the next level. Look, what you're alluding to is correct. Uh, he doesn't come across as a great guy all the time. And to me, that's been valuable to see because his image was so protected back then. He is flawed. And I think he's acknowledged more so in this documentary his flaws than he had in all the previous years of living a public life. Mm. What's interesting to me is If we take Michael Jordan, if we take Kobe Bryant, if we take LeBron James, the three players, at least during my time as an NBA broadcaster, that were on a pedestal and you could feel something was different inside an arena when any one of those three players were participating. There was just a different vibe. There was an electricity that you couldn't create. There have been so many other great players, but those three in particular would create this whole other dynamic. Mm. Jordan did not let you in. He didn't. It it was all about the image. Uh, He didn't let you know what his thoughts were. He didn't let you know where he stood politically. He just chose not to go in that direction. Charles Barkley, if you remember, came out and said, hey, I don't want to be a role model. And everyone went, whoa, Charles, hey. Mm -hmm. Michael basically said that in this last episode. He just never publicly admitted it. He did not want 
the stress of that. He did not want to handle the enormous responsibility of being a role model. But he put on the act that he had to in order to sell shoes and sell McDonald's burgers and sell Gatorade. Kobe Bryant, I think, would pick and choose his spots over the course of his career of showing different parts of himself. He was willing to uh, be vulnerable and show that he had different sides to his personality. But he would pull back at times and when he was not in the mood and certainly what he went through uh, when he was going through the legal case and that went off the rails, uh, he then shut it down for a while and then had to right. reinvent himself. LeBron James, the third person of the three, LeBron has been more of an open book. He wants you to know his story. He wants you to film what's happening to him in a barbershop setting. And although <laughs> it's controlled, he wants to share his opinions on politics and sports and other things happening in our society. So we've had this progression in the NBA of the three biggest superstars that have changed philosophically how yeah. we view them. And Jordan was a private dude. He had his inner circle, Jimmy. And beyond that, and that inner circle included uh, some security guys that <laughs> have gotten some run. And that was great, by right. the way. That was a great yes. part of the oh, absolutely. And by the absolutely. way, Jimmy, if this continues, this quarantine for a while, my hair is going to be like <laughs> that security guard, Mr. Wozniak. That's happening we, for me. We need, you, we need you doing the Jordan shrug while you got the hair going. <laughs> it was tremendous. That, that is an excellent observation about those three guys. I, I do wonder, though. I See, I feel like LeBron... He has no choice but to be an open book from the standpoint of with the internet camera. Like if Jordan, Jordan almost had a choice in it because people weren't there with cameras, camera phones and Twitter and this and that. So mm -hmm. he could be as reserved as he was where LeBron. And it's funny because when some people criticize LeBron for being too out there, I think he's smart to control it himself. That's how I look at it. But. Well, and that's the difference. Now yeah. you actually have avenues to share your opinions and you don't need the media. So right. LeBron will work both sides because there are times where the media can benefit him. And there are times where his own production company can do it the way that he wants to do it. And I think yeah. if Jordan were playing in this era, he would have people in place, smart people handling this, handling a Instagram account handling right of course this yeah. part of the job so it's all based on what was going on then but the idea that he's still bothered by some columnists taking him to task for going to atlantic city all of these years later right, I know right. in your brain you're thinking dude yeah. Twitter, you would not be able to handle. This would be happening every single second of every single day. You would be under right. the microscope. It's a different era. And it's been interesting to compare how things were and how things are today. It's night and day. Right. Because if it, today, Nike, Gatorade, they would have forced him to have yeah. social media accounts to push all that stuff. No doubt. Um, I'm going to say something here. And if you don't want to address it, just say, Shut up, Jimmy. Did you enjoy the clip of Mike Francesa saying Jordan wasn't a strong teammate because he went to Atlantic City <laughs> that night? <laughs> For those who don't know, Ian is a former Mike Francesa producer of his WFAN radio. Uh, yeah, so no, I worked, I worked on that show in 1992, Mike and the Mad Dog. I've said it before. They did, I, they did Mike dirty in that one. A little bit. I'll say it again. It was like grad school for me. It was a really important part 
to my development as a broadcaster. I learned a lot from both Mike and Chris being around the show, their main producer, Bob Gelb, understanding that chemistry, that dynamic. I really like both guys to this day. I've maintained friendships with both of them. Uh, yeah, uh, that they did Mike a little dirty there, and and that one, but <laughs> that is Mike doing his job. That's Mike doing his job well, back then and now today. Your job is to <laughs> make people think and to create interest. And Mike, throughout his career, has been as good as anybody at doing that job in the sports talk realm. That's what he's done forever. The, the one thing I've always said about Mike and the Mad Dog, and we'll say it forever, is, you know, whether they're right or wrong with predictions or analysis, whatever you want to say, those two guys to me are the only two basically who have ever done what they've done without the contrived bullshit of hot takes. And you say this and I'll say this and whatever they said, they meant. So whatever you want to say about both of them, to me, at the very least, whatever they said they meant. I can tell you this, Jimmy, from firsthand experience, not only working on the show, but then being part of WFAN for an extended period of time, working in the newsroom as an update anchor or following them as a talk show host at times after their show was done. Never, ever in all of those years when their debates would spill out into the newsroom, did right. you ever get a wink from them that they were just doing this for the sake of doing the show. They exactly. were doing it because they actually believed what they said. Now, were they wrong at times? Of course, you're going to oh, be yeah. wrong. When you take a, a hard stand, you're going to be wrong. But they never did it in a contrived manner. And as you put it, it was never bullshit. It was real for them. And you have to respect that. It was coming from an authentic, real place. And sometimes some of their knockdown drag them out arguments would spill over into the newsroom and they would get the people in the newsroom involved. And so you would have to be forced <laughs> yeah. to take a side in a moment's notice. And let me tell you, if you oh, took yeah. the side against one of them, you would hear about it. Not for the next day, not for the next week, for the next year. Like Chris Russo, <laughs> he could hold a grudge for years. I had an argument with him about Sean Bradley that to this day, I don't know if I've ever gotten as angry as I got in that five-minute argument as I did with Chris. He knew how to push your buttons. And it was over a topic that I wasn't even that passionate about. But were you how to do it? Were you were you producing and he was hosting and you no, got it and you got no, I was doing the nets at that point. Oh, so okay. Okay. I think I was in there for a hosting session after them or I was doing updates. And he was screaming at me as if I had done something terrible to someone in his family. That's how vociferous yeah. he got in trying to argue his point. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's and and he's, real, very well, that's real. The, you mentioned about him holding the grudge. And the other thing is the guy's memory is so ridiculous oh. that he doesn't forget anything in terms of, you know, he could tell you what happened in the 1943 World Series right now if he asked them. So he had a moment. I was driving in my car. My wife and kids were in the car. PJ Carlissimo did not get the head coaching job with the Nets. He was told he was not going to keep the job after he took over for Avery Johnson. They lost to the Bulls in the first round of the playoffs. And then it later came out PJ was not getting the job. So we were driving to CVS, wife, kids in the car. And on the phone in the car, it pops up Christopher Russo. So I said, hey, guys, do you mind if I get that? They go, no, go ahead. 
So I hit, I hit the button. And as the voice starts, not even hello, it's just Russo screaming at me. You have got to be kidding me. PJ did everything right. And he is getting a raw deal. He is screaming at me. And my wife and kids are looking at me like, what is going on? So finally, finally, after like a three-minute diatribe, we're in the parking lot of CBS. No one will get out of the car because it was that engaging. He pauses for a moment. I said, Chris. He goes, yeah. I said, you understand, it's not my decision. I'm not making And then that sets him on another two-minute diatribe. You have got to be joking. But like he was so passionate about right. it. So you got to respect it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I had him on my podcast over the summer and he's the one person in America. I shouldn't, well, I, I didn't, I wasn't making the connection. He's the one person who's not a huge Tony Romo fan. Let's just put it that way. And I was defending Romo as yeah. I've been on Romo since day one. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, I, I'm minding my own business at work in the office one day and I get tweets from people like, oh, Russo just ripped you for liking Romo. <laughs> What what is going on? It was like three weeks ago that discussion, you know. Right, so right. And, that, and Chris's wrong. Chris's take is, hey, yeah. enough already with the predictions. Like he gets on a thing and he, he does off. I don't think he likes Tony because Tony is appealing to the younger viewers and not, you know, and Dog wants everything to be like 1950. So I think that's um the issue there, but that's just my take. All right. You have given me more time than you should have. I'm going to end it with a tweet I just got. I want you to address it, and then we'll wrap it up. Because I tweeted, uh, while while we were doing this, I tweeted about Raftery does use Zoom. And one of the people on Twitter responded to me, this guy, John, sent this nice tweet. He says, I loved your first podcast with Iron Eagle. It is so nice to know that there are some people like me that do not like condiments. This is a must listen <laughs> for all. I hope Ian is seeing this on his ghost account. <laughs> Do, do you do you love the fact that not liking any condiments is one of the things that people know about you? Yeah, I'm okay with that, Jimmy. That that might yeah. make me a, a completely insane person, but I am comfortable in my own skin to know that there are others like me that don't believe in ketchup, don't believe in mustard, don't believe in mayo. Uh, there is a small group of us, but it's a passionate group. And... <laughs> I, I am okay with the idea that I am part of this subset within American culture. And what's the other one? You've never had a salad or a soup? Which one? Is, no, no, no. I've never had salad. Soup I salad. enjoy. I okay, enjoy salad, salad. a nice hot cup of soup. I would not have gazpacho. That would not work for me. But yeah. I have never had a salad. 51 years on earth. It, it's never. a streak that will never be broken. I'm trying to think, and when you go into it, I guess it. I, I guess every op, every restaurant gives you the salad soup option. I'm just trying to think if you ever run into a situation where like they're trying to force the salad onto you. I don't think I, I, I told you this story, but when Lou Lamarillo took over as the president of the Nets, he was mm -hmm. already, of course, the head of the Devils. So he takes over as the head of the Nets as well. He was running both teams. So I got a phone call saying, Lou would like to meet with you for lunch. I said, oh, okay, yeah. And I obviously wanted to get to know him a little bit. I meet him at a place called Borelli's on Route 3 in New Jersey, just before you hit the Lincoln Tunnel. And I had never met Lou prior to that. So I get to the restaurant. We have a 12 o'clock noon reservation. I get there at 11.55. I go to the maitre d'. I said, yeah, I'm here uh, to meet 
uh, Mr. Lamarillo says, oh, yeah, yeah, come right here. Uh, he's not here yet, but I'm going to bring you to the table. Brings me to the table. I sit down. Four minutes later, in comes Lou. Stand up, shake his hand. We sit down. Waiter comes over right away. So we've had no conversation. And he says, hey, 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 uh, you mind if we just order now? Because I got some stuff going. I got, yeah, no problem. Waiter says, uh, okay, what would you like? I said, uh, I'm going to have the linguine and the white clam sauce. Oh, okay, very good. Uh, Mr. Lamarillo, he says, uh, yeah, I'm going to do uh, this. I want a chicken. And he said, I'll have a salad to start. And the waiter says to me, uh, and for you, sir, your salad? I go, no, no, I'm, I'm good. No salad. And now Lamarillo turns to me. He says, have a salad. <laughs> and now my, it's like my life goes in slow motion at this point. I nearly, I nearly like lost it because I had to make a split second decision. Do I just accept the salad so I don't have to explain <laughs> to Lou Lamarillo within the first five minutes of meeting him that I've never had a salad or do I pivot? So my first answer is, no, I'm good. And he now says, have a salad. <laughs> so I look at the waiter and there's fear in my eyes. I said, uh, do you have any soup today? He goes, oh, we have the best lobster bisque. I go, you know what? I'll have the lobster bisque. And Lou goes, you know what? That sounds good. Forget <laughs> my salad. I'll do the lobster bisque. <laughs> oh my God. Dodge the bullet. Dodge, Dodge the bullet. huge <laughs> bullet. I might've been done. My broadcast career may have ended over a salad. <laughs> It reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where the person wouldn't have the pie. And he's very angry. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a perfect way to end the podcast. You were uh, fantastic and delightful. And I thank you for doing this and uh, stay safe. And hopefully we get some NFL action, whether you're calling it from the booth, a studio, no fans in the stands, fans. Well, I don't think I want fans in the stands, but hopefully we get something in September. Me too, Jimmy. Great talking to you. Next time, let's let's bring a video component to this so I can see where you stand I, on the hair. I, I want to get in on a Zoom with you and Raf. That's what I want. Whoa. I mean, that, that, <laughs> I, that's something I could maybe make happen. Well, when next time you Zoom with Raf, tell him uh, I'm happy he's safe. and You'll be the Zoom bomber. Well. You come in and Zoom bomb. I would love it. I would love it. Oh, Jimmy. All right. <laughs> I, he gave me that quote. I, I put it out there. It was during the tournament where he said, I, I said to him about getting on Twitter and he said, you know, I don't get on Twitter because at night after I've had my 10th drink, I might tweet something to get me fired. And people go, every time I put that tweet out there, people go nuts for it. And it's true. hundred percent it. true. It's a man who knows what he's talking about. See you, bud. All right. Take care. All right. My thanks to Ian Eagle for the very fun, very entertaining conversation. Always great to talk to Ian and he always brings some great great stories to the podcast so i appreciate him coming on if you've missed any recent episodes they're all there in the archives you can check them out chris long last week michael imperioli and steve stripper from the sopranos two weeks ago andrew marshan three weeks ago on a lot of nfl media news bob lee kyle brandt recent guests as well so check those out if you missed any of those download and subscribe helps tremendously appreciate you listening stay in stay safe and that wraps up this edition of the SI Media Podcast. We'll see you next week. Take care. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins.